Good morning. My name is Paul. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. If we have not had the opportunity to meet, I'd love, I'd love to meet you after the service. We now come, having declared the sufficiency of Christ, to hear of his sufficiency from his word in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. So if you have a Bible, may I encourage you to open there, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, as we consider our defense filled in Christ. If you don't have a Bible, I'd invite you to use one of the, the pew Bibles in the pew in front of you. You can find Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 on page 984, right at the top. Colossians chapter 2, let me get there as well, starting in verse 6. I will read it for us, and then after reading, I will lead us in a prayer for God's help. Therefore... As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice at your word this morning. Father, we have found great treasure. In fact, we have found the one who is the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. He not only is all that we have, he is all that we need. He is our only boast. Father, let that be our boast this morning. Cause us to look to Christ alone. To see the great treasure that is in him. We pray in his name. Amen. The defense against the dark arts was one of the the core subjects taught at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. In the popular Harry Potter book and movie series. In this Class, Defense Against the Dark Arts, young wizarding students were taught how to defend themselves against all aspects of the dark arts. They were taught how to deal with dark creatures, curses, hexes, jinxes, even dueling. 
It was an especially necessary class in, in Harry Potter's years because in, in that time there was a, a wizard of the dark arts named Lord Voldemort who with many other wizards and witches would want to use the dark arts to do harm. And this use of the dark arts seemed so overwhelming that most would not even use Voldemort's name. One professor of the dark arts, Professor Snape, said this about them. He said, the dark arts are many, varied, ever-changing and eternal. Fighting them is like fighting a many-headed monster, which each time a neck is severed, sprouts a head even fiercer and cleverer than before. You are fighting that which is unfixed, mutating, indestructible. Your defenses must therefore be as flexible and inventive as the arts you seek to undo. If these young wizards... Harry and his friends were going to defeat Lord Voldemort. They would need to be flexible, inventive, creative, and and clever. How would they do this? Well, they would use spells and charms. They'd get the, the flick of the wand just right. Well, just to be clear, Harry Potter is fiction. But being fiction, I think Harry Potter gets something right. Friends, there is a dark lord who is seeking to do harm who has been working to deceive from the beginning of time. Defeating him is not easy. He is clever in how he pursues our harm. And unfortunately, many of us live most of our days unaware and not watching for how he is working. And therefore are easily susceptible to his deceptions through false teachers. Paul's been clear about these spiritual forces so far in Colossians. Let's give you one example. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we said, as we see Jesus is, is created all things, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. We, we said that, that Paul is likely referring there to, to demonic rulers and authorities. There are real spiritual forces seeking to deceive us, to delude us with plausible arguments. And how are they seeking to deceive us? Well, they want to offer us fulfillment. We all are looking for fulfillment. We want to live full lives. Even yesterday, I was at a wedding, and, and, and the, the recurring theme was we, we want to be made complete. And they, these false teachers, were teaching the Colossians that they needed something else in order to be made full. So what is our defense against these spiritual forces and their ploys? Is it spells and charms? No. Our one defense against these spiritual forces is to be filled with Jesus Christ. Our one defense is to receive Jesus as Lord through faith and to walk in Him. So friends, do not be deceived. Our only defense against the powers of this age is walking in Christ. The fulfillment that you're searching for, that false teachers will offer you, can only be found in Christ. And this leads us, I think, to our main idea this morning, our one sentence summary. Beware of being deceived, causing you to stray from walking as one filled by the victorious Christ. Beware of being deceived, causing you to stray from walking as one who is filled by the victorious Christ. Last week, we used the illustration of a vaccine to describe what Paul is trying to do in this letter. He's writing it not because the Colossians have left the faith, but because he knows there are dangers around them. 
These dangers are false teachers promoting hollow and worldly philosophies. Telling these Colossian Christians how they can be made fool. But these philosophies would lead us away from Christ. And so Paul's call is to come back to Christ. To live out the union that we have with Christ through faith. And to do so because we are united to the one who is victorious over these dark forces. Beware of being deceived, causing you to stray from walking as one filled by the victorious Christ. Well, how do we do this? How are we to to beware of being deceived? Well, let me give you three commands which will serve as our outline this morning. One, continue to walk in Christ. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Two, beware of straying from Christ. Chapter 2, verse 8. And then third, remember your reality in Christ. Verses 9 through 15. Continue to walk in Christ. Beware of straying from Christ. And remember your reality in Christ. Well, let's consider first, continue to walk in Christ. We see here in verses 6 and 7 what I believe to serve as the, the hinge verses of all of Colossians. Some commentators have called these two verses the heart of the letter. If, if there was a main idea of, of Paul's letter to the Colossians, I think it would be this. As is common in, in the epistles of, of the Apostle Paul, he moves from, from teaching to now applying and exhorting and commanding. And that's what's happening here. Look at verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I think this points us back first to the, the first half of the letter. How have the Colossians received Jesus? Well, we see in chapter 1, verse 13. He is the beloved son who has a kingdom. He is the one in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. We see then in in verse 15 that he is the image of the invisible God, the one who makes God known to, to all. He is the creator of all creation and the reason for all creation. He is the exalted Lord who existed before the world and is now holding the world together by the very word of his power. And as exalted Lord, he is the head of the church. He who has reconciled to God all through the blood of his cross. How has he done that? Well, by taking on flesh. This Jesus has Reconciled those who were alienated from God, doing evil deeds, those who were God's enemies. This Jesus is the, is the mystery of God, the one who brings revelation to all that was hidden before. And he is the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. This is what Paul means when he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, he's, he's having all of that in mind. We're to understand all of what we've seen of Jesus so far. And this is how the Colossians have received Jesus. That is, this is the the, the Jesus whom they have believed. It's the one they've begun living for. To receive here is not just to to pray a prayer on on a Sunday morning. It's not to walk an aisle or even to just be baptized. To receive Jesus as Lord 
is to believe that he is the beloved son of God who has taken on flesh, gone to the cross, and risen again so that we might be reconciled to God. To receive Jesus is to believe that and then live in light of that, to follow him. I wonder if if this is how you have received Jesus. If someone was to follow you around for the rest of today, would they see one who has received Jesus as preeminent Lord who has reconciled you to God? If this is not how you have received Jesus, I'm, I'm so glad you're here this morning. But before we go any further, I, I want you to hear me. If you don't receive Jesus like this, then you're missing out on all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge of God. If you refuse to receive Jesus like this, then know when he returns in all his glory, he will justly judge. In simple words, if you re- refuse to receive Jesus, he will refuse to receive you. This is what we see Jesus teach on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I say this soberly, friends, but I want to be abundantly clear. We will not enter the kingdom of heaven because of our good deeds, because of how well I preach or don't preach. Our sin is too great. It's so great that the the perfect judge cannot let it go unpunished. And so the only way to enter into heaven, to be received by Jesus, is to receive him as Lord. To believe in his death and resurrection. This is the very thing that that our sister Sophia will do when she will be baptized in just a little bit. She will tell us that it doesn't matter who you're born to or where you grew up. What matters is how you answer this question. Have you received Jesus as Lord? And if you have yet to receive Jesus in this way, let let me encourage you to do so today. But for us who have received Jesus as Lord, Paul continues... He's talking to those who have received Jesus as Lord and he gives them then a command. Verse 6, so walk in him. I think this becomes the defining command of the rest of the Colossians. How are we to walk in him? Well, it's what Paul will go on to explain in the rest of the letter. But he summarizes it here. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The idea is is that we are to continue to live in Christ. In fact, I believe that's how the NIV translates this. Continue to live in Christ. It's not just to profess faith, but to live as those who are united to Him, rooted and built up in Him. That language of in Him will become important as we move throughout our sermon this morning. Christians are to be like the, the great redwood trees of California, some of which that have roots almost 100 feet wide underground. We're to be so rooted in, in Christ. But Paul then moves to an architectural illustration. Not, not only are we to be rooted, but then we are to be built up in him. That is, we are, we are to be like a, 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 a building that's being built upon a foundation. And finally, we are to be established in the faith. Strengthened, 
grounded in the gospel. Paul's reaffirming to the Christians, the Colossians, that they have received the true gospel. This is, this is what they've been. They've been rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. But they are to continue in this. And ultimately, they are, they are to do so with abounding thanksgiving. That's what we see at the end of verse 7. Thanksgiving is a vital part of the Christian life. Because receiving Christ as Lord and walking in Christ are ultimately not something that we can do, but something that God must do for us. Each of the words in verse 7, rooted, built up, and established are are what we know know in Greek as divine passives. It's not as clear in the English, but, but they're verbs that are passive. It's something that's being done to us. God is rooting us. God is building us up. God is establishing us in the faith. Friends, we serve a God who not only saves, but sanctifies. Yes, we are to to walk. We have responsibility to, to, as we have received Christ, so walk in Him. But we do so only as God works in us. And so we abound in thanksgiving. What are you thankful for today? What grace have you seen in your life? I might encourage you this this afternoon at lunch or after the service to ask someone around you, what are you thankful for today? To abound in thanksgiving with one another and to, to do so in stopping and giving God thanks before you leave. If we are going to to defend ourselves against the dark arts, if we're going to beware of being deceived, it begins by positively continuing in Christ. But Paul doesn't just teach us how we ought to live. He warns, just as he tells us he does in Colossians chapter 2. And so we see then our second point, beware of straying from Christ. Beware of straying from Christ. Look with me again at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceits. The idea of see to it is is the idea of watch out for, right? To beware. Paul is warning us that there are some who want to, to take us captive, who want to use secular worldviews to lead us away from Jesus, who are offering spiritual fulfillment in everything but Jesus. The reality is, brothers and sisters, that the Christian life is one of spiritual warfare. There are powers and principalities at work that are seeking to lead us away from Jesus. But Paul's warning is not to be taken captive. It's military language. In Rome, when a general would would have victory, the, the victorious side would take captives from whoever they defeated. And they would plunder them, taking all that they have and then lead them in a, in a procession as they returned home. So Paul's soberly warning us, beware of falling under the possession of these spiritual powers because they will plunder you. Rather than filling you, these philosophies will do the exact opposite. They will empty you. They will plunder and take you captive. And this is what makes these philosophies so dangerous because they are hollow and deceitful. There is no spiritual value in what these philosophies offer. They claim to offer something, but they ultimately prove empty. Why is that? 
Well, it's because they are according to human tradition in the basic elements or the elemental spirits of the world. That is, is that they are based on human speculation, man-made wisdom, and not the wisdom of God that we know to be found in Christ. They are based on the the basic elements of the, the world. They're occupied by the material rather than the spiritual particularly the spiritual truth that can only be found in Jesus. Particularly that phrase, according to the elemental spirits, is a, is a difficult one to interpret. They're, depending on who you read, they have different opinions and different, different thoughts. What I, what, I, I, what I think is being said here is, is kind of a, a two-and. The Colossians were under cultural pressure to take the basic elements of the world, water, fire, air, and treat them like fundamental cosmic powers, To put their hope, basically, in the material, treating them as if they are spiritual beings. And so rather than Jesus as Lord, the material world became Lord. But whatever we we understand these philosophies to be, ultimately, Paul's strongest condemnation of them comes at the end of verse 8. They are not according to Christ. So whatever they were... They were not dependent on Jesus. Brothers and sisters, any teaching that leads us away from the sufficiency of Christ is empty. It may promise you something wonderful, but it will not fulfill it. A couple examples that that I thought of this week of, of things that might offer us this sort of worldly philosophies We might hear of teaching like religious relativism. It's popular in our our world today. That I've got my religion and you've got your religion. Or you could say subjective truth, right? I've got my truth and you've got your truth. This kind of teaching is dangerous. It seems nice, right? Everyone gets to believe what we want. But friends, that relativism will lead us away from the all-sufficiency of Christ. Another example a member shared with me this, this week is a, is a common philosophy that, that is told to women often. That if you work harder to improve your earthly situation, you might be happy and content. If you do enough, if you work hard enough so that your life is better, you'll be happy. Friends, this kind of thinking proves empty and deceitful. It cannot keep its promises. You will find yourself unfulfilled. So do not be deceived. There is no spiritual fullness or knowledge, no spiritual life found apart from Christ. If you want to be made full, you want fulfillment in this life, look to Jesus. Paul says, see to it, beware that no one takes you captive by these empty and deceitful worldly philosophies. These philosophies that are according to everything else but Jesus. Well, how are we to beware? We're to continue to walk in Christ, but but Paul then fleshes that out in in reminding us of three realities that are true of us. And that's our third point. Remember your reality in Christ. Remember your reality in Christ, verses 9 through 15. The best defense against these worldly philosophies is to know Jesus. It's to live out your union with Him. It's to, to walk in Him as you have received Him. 
And so Paul will, will tell us three realities that are true of anyone who has been united to Jesus by faith. The first reality. We are made fool by the one who is fully God. We are made fool by the one who is fully God. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul is, is making his argument. The, the, the tiny word of four becomes the, the, the connection between the warning and why we ought to be, beware. Why are we to beware of anything that leads us astray from Christ? Because he is the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so rather than being captives to worldly philosophies, we are to look to Christ because in him, the fullness of God dwells bodily. This is what we saw in chapter 1, verse 19. That in the man, Jesus Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul expounds on that. Not only was, he, was it pleased to dwell in Christ when he was on earth, but Christ is currently dwelling bodily. He did not give up his body when he ascended to heaven. He is still dwelling as the fully God-man even now. And promises with great news that if we are raised with him on the last day, we will be given new bodies as he received a new body. And so any philosophy that, that is not according to Christ, any philosophy that leads us astray from him is not a philosophy of God. It's not a, 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 a godly spiritual philosophy because the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He is the one who is over all things. He's the one from where even these spiritual forces promoting these worldly philosophies get their origin. He is the head of all, of all rule and authority. And the good news is that we have been filled in him through faith. We have been filled with the fullness of God. In other words, Jesus is totally and completely sufficient. Friends, no spells, nor charms, not seven years of defense against the dark arts can provide the defense that we need against these worldly philosophies, only being filled in Him, the one who is fully God. But if you're like me, that language of filled in might feel a little strange to you. Well, one author said it this way. To be filled in Christ, then, is to have all the benefits of Christ's life, death, and resurrection because we are united with Him. To be filled in Christ is not Jesus filling all the spaces of, between our organs and our body. Right? It's not like when you eat food and your stomach grows because you've eaten too much. No, Jesus Filling us is, is Jesus being, we being united to Jesus and therefore receiving all of the benefits. Friends, you cannot have any more benefits from God than you can in your union with Christ. And this is why worldly philosophies are dangerous because they, they lead us to away from Jesus rather than living out in our union with Jesus. But we cannot be made any more full than, than when we are united with Jesus. Friends, where are you looking for fulfillment? Where do you go to be made full? Do you go to food? You go to entertainment? Relationships? 
Friends, the only place to go for fulfillment is to go to the one who makes you full because in him the fullness of God dwells. We have been made full through the one in whom the fullness of God dwells. And so we are to remember this reality. You are filled with Christ. You can't be made any more full than you already are through your union with Christ. That's the first reality. The second reality of our union with Christ that we must remember is this. We are given new life through our faith in Christ. We are given new life through our faith in Christ. How are we made full in Jesus? Well, we're given new life by believing in Jesus. Paul takes a little bit of a turn. Maybe it feels a little bit off-setting. He says in verse 11, In him also... So he's, he's now speaking of another benefit of, of our union with Christ. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the, the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. I think as Paul refers to circumcision, he has in mind that the teaching of the Colossian false teachers, that they were teaching that in order to experience new life, one would have to literally strip off the body of flesh. They'd have to practice a a sort of asceticism, as we'll see in chapter 2, verse 20 and through 23. It, It was possible that they were even making circumcision as like another level of initiation. So it's not the same same danger that the Galatians were in, where they were they were trying to make everyone Jews. But but it was like if you want to kind of jump to the next level as a Christian, you had to get circumcised. If you want to grow, it's not just be baptized and believe in Jesus. You need to be circumcised to go deeper and find more freedom from sin and more fulfillment in Christ. Don't worry, that's not what we believe. But through our union with Christ, Paul's arguing that that we have actually already been circumcised. But not with one that's made by hands, but with the circumcision of God. Circumcision of the heart, where we have put off the old self, the body of flesh, and put on the new through our union with Jesus. That we've been circumcised with Christ's circumcision because his body was split and beaten and torn. Because of his death, we are given new life. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that that you were a part of the people of God. But even there, physical circumcision was only to to point forward to a a spiritual circumcision. That's what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. That promise, friends, is fully and finally fulfilled in Jesus We are given a spiritual circumcision that is new life through faith in Christ. Conversion now takes the place of circumcision in the new covenant. We are circumcised in the heart as we die with Christ through faith and are raised with Christ. Because of Jesus' body of flesh was crucified, because he was circumcised, so to speak, we are given new life. This becomes clear in our baptism. That's why I think Paul moves then to to speak of baptism in verse 12. Look look down there with me again. How have we put off the body by the circumcision of Christ? 
Well, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. You see, in baptism, we are buried with Jesus. The flesh, our our old sinful nature is dead, having died with Jesus. That's why we go all the way under the water. And as we come out of the water, we now have not only the benefits of Christ's death, but we are raised with Jesus to new life. We share not only in the benefits of Christ's death, but in the benefits of his resurrection. But Paul is not teaching that baptism is what saves these Colossians. Baptism is merely the the public display of an inward reality that we have been circumcised in the heart. That we now share in these benefits of Christ's death and his resurrection. How is that confirmed to us? Well, look at the end of verse 12. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. There's nothing salvific about the waters back here. It is through faith that we receive Jesus. It is through faith that we are circumcised in the heart. It is through faith in Jesus' resurrection and God's power to raise Jesus from the dead that we are given new life. And baptism just makes that abundantly clear. It's how you openly declare that to all that you trust in Jesus. As one pastor has said, baptism is a visible tangible, public, dramatic expression of faith in Christ. So when we baptize Sophia in just a few minutes, don't be confused. Nothing salvific is happening when she goes under the water and comes back out. But that doesn't mean nothing important isn't happening. It is actually quite important because for Paul, baptism is so intimately tied to our faith and conversion that he, he, he uses it to describe our conversion here in verse 12. Which means if you're, you're a professing Christian and you have yet to been baptized, I would encourage you to, to try and write that wrong. Come talk to me or one of the other elders. We would love to talk about what it might look like to go through a process of, of seeing you publicly declare your faith in Christ. But what is being displayed in baptism is really just the reality of what we see in verse 13. So look down there at verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. The reality is that before Christ, we are dead. Uncircumcised. That that is unpure. Unable to make ourselves pure. But God makes us alive together with Christ. How does God make us alive? Well, he does so through our union with Jesus. As Jesus is raised from the dead, so are we. We who were dead were made alive, he says, with Christ. Through our union with Jesus. As Jesus is made alive, so are we if we trust in him. Friends, if you are not trusting in Jesus, you are dead in your trespasses today. There's nothing you can do to earn new life. You can't do enough good works or enough good deeds to to have joy and fulfillment in life. But if you trust in Jesus, you will be given life, a full and abundant life. New life is ours through faith. 
And how are we given this new life? Well, through the forgiveness of our sins, being made free from the debt that stood against us, which brings us then to our third and final reality that we ought to remember this morning. We are made free through the feet of Christ. As you can see, by feet, I don't mean body parts. I mean through Jesus' victory, his triumph, In his death and resurrection, the spiritual powers are disarmed and defeated, and we are freed from the debt that stood against us. Friends, each and every one of us, because we are sinners by nature and by choice, have a long record of debt. We haven't just missed one payment on our debt. We've missed every single payment. We have a debt that is impossible to pay off. Even if you think you're a generally good person, even just one failure, one misstep causes us to be guilty of failing the whole. This is what we read in James chapter 2 verse 10. Forever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So even if you're here and you you think to yourself, I've been good. Friends, that, that one lie you told That one time you thought it would be okay to cheat. The one lustful thought that you had this week or the the anger you felt when you were cut off driving yesterday. Even just failing at one point makes us guilty of all of it and that debt is unpayable. Because the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. There are legal demands Just as we have with with any debt we have in this world, there are legal demands that we pay it, that we are responsible to pay it. There are legal demands from God that we pay. And at some point, we are going to be called upon to pay up. As it is with any financial debt, you, you might get away without paying on it for a little bit. Tori and I got a bill just a few weeks ago. To to pay something for Evan's birth seven months ago. We thought we were we were out, we were in the clear. Every time, debt comes due. That's true, not just in this world, but in, with God. There are legal demands on our debt, and we must pay it. But friends, this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. That the debt that we owed, that stood against us, verse 14, was canceled. It was set aside. Just think about that. Every debt, not, not just a part of it, not most of it, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, every evil deed, every lustful thought, every selfish decision, every lie, every word of slander, every impure motive, every jealous moment, every angry word, every act that should provoke the wrath of our holy God, all of it, down to the very last penny, has been paid. There is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Full forgiveness, full freedom, found only through our faith in Jesus Christ. Found as we die to our old self and become a new person through our union with Jesus. Forgiving us all our trespasses.
beauty of the cross is that we are freed from the penalty of our sin. But it's not just the penalty of our sin. Paul will go on to say that we're freed not just from the penalty, but from the power of sin. That's where we end in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. You might have a note in your Bible, as I do, that that says probably demonic rulers and authorities. And put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Friends, the beauty of the cross is that the, the evil powers of this age, the rulers and authorities, those powers of darkness that we used to, to walk in, no longer have power over us. We who were once slaves to sin are now freed from sin to live to righteousness. And we can be sure of that because Jesus has triumphed over them. Paul brings us back to verse 8. And the picture that he gives us of, of captives and plundering. See, rather than being plundered by these evil spiritual forces, we are taught that Jesus has plundered them. They've been captured. They've been disarmed. They have no more power. They've been put to open shame. Friends, with the death and resurrection of Jesus, Satan has been bound. And yes, 1 Peter 5 tells us that he still prowls like a lion, but he is a lion with no teeth and no claws. It's not as scary anymore. He has been bound. He cannot defeat a Christian. He can tempt us. He can cause suffering. But he cannot deceive. He cannot deceive one who has been filled in Christ. We'll sing in just a little bit. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? We are free from the penalty and the power of sin. And so, brothers and sisters, this means that you can fight sin. You can pursue righteousness. You don't have to be deceived by these worldly and empty philosophies. Your Savior has disarmed them. They have no more power. So remember your reality through your union with Christ. Right? These don't come to us because of our strength or our power. They come to us through the power of Christ. Through our union with Him, we are filled with the fullness of Christ. We are given new life through faith in Christ. And we are made three through the feats of Christ. And this is our defense, brothers and sisters, against the spiritual rulers and authorities. Those who would seek to deceive you. Our defense against them, against these dark arts, is not spells or charms. It's a lifelong journey of continuing to walk in Christ. He is victorious, and He makes you full. Beware of being deceived, causing you to stray from walking as one filled by the victorious Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are in awe.
that every single debt that we owed was paid for at the cross of Jesus. There was no sin left untouched, but Christ became sin for us. Father, may we look to Jesus. May we not seek fulfillment in in the things of this world. May we not be deceived by philosophies that would lead us from looking to Christ. May we remember the reality that is ours in Christ. And may we walk in him. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we are going to respond in song and then through baptism to the wonderful gospel that we've just heard. So let me encourage you here in the next few moments to to take a few moments to reflect. Maybe you've never considered that, that every sin that you've done is paid for by Christ if you believe in him. And you need to meditate on that and and reflect on that. Or maybe you've forgotten that. And as a Christian, you need to remember that, that your sin is paid for. There is now no more condemnation for you. Take a few minutes to reflect and then we will sing together.